For those of you I do not know, my name is Ryan, and I have the honor of serving as the discipleship pastor here at Northway, and I love being able to come and worship with you week in and week out, and I love the opportunity to come and to open up God's word with you on a Sunday morning. So several years back when I was in college, we had this six foot 10 German basketball player on campus. I mean, he was massive. He was huge. And it was pretty funny because he found what had to be the smallest girl on campus to be his girlfriend. And they were just a sight to see when they were walking next to each other. It seemed like she came up to her hip or to his hip. And I lived in the same loft building as him. So we got to see them quite a lot. And this one evening, we received a text through the Mercer Alert System saying that there was a potential active shooter threat on campus. And so I called my wife, Sarah, who I was dating at the time, and she was off campus working. And I said, hey, when you get back to campus, don't go on campus. Just come to my loft. I'll come out and meet you. And you can hang out with me and my roommates until everything passes and we know what's going on. And so she got back and I went outside to meet her and we were walking inside our law or my loft. And when we were walking in, the six foot 10 basketball player and his girlfriend were walking out and I stopped them and said, hey, I don't know if you've heard or not, but there's a potential active shooter threat. You might want to be careful. And like, oh, wow, no, we, we haven't heard that yet. And so thank you. And so we continued inside. They continued outside and what Sarah and I saw just astounded us. We watched this six foot 10 giant of a man hug his little girlfriend goodbye and send her on her way by herself in the dark to the middle of campus. And we were like, are you kidding me? Did, did that just happen? Now, thankfully it ended up being nothing. It was there was no real threat. There was no real problem. But needless to say, it was not a good look for this guy. I mean, it wouldn't have been good for anyone to be walking around on campus by themselves at dark in such a severe threat. But it really did not look good. And it was quite ironic that the biggest guy on campus sent his little five foot nothing girlfriend in the dark by herself to walk on campus in such a threat. Now, why do I tell you this? Because this morning we are in the book of Jonah and we're reading a passage from Jonah. And what you need to understand about this particular book of the Bible is that it's ancient Hebrew poetry and littered all throughout it are these contrasts and these ironies that really at times are meant to be pretty comical. And we started it back in, in the fall where we looked at the first four verses of Jonah and what we said was our singing vegetable friends have warped many of our understandings of the book of Jonah. Uh, we see Jonah as this sort of reluctant hero who refused the hero's call at first, but then got back on the right track and he's someone to aspire to be. But what we need to understand is Jonah is no hero. In fact, much of the irony that's in this book is meant to paint him in not a good light. He's no reluctant hero. In fact, the, the book of Jonah is God taking aim at the heart of Jonah. And in turn, as we read this book, it's God taking aim at our hearts as well. And so I want to encourage you as we read the word of God, as we study it and pick it apart, to lay your heart on the table and let God take aim at it. 
So just some context, we're gonna be starting in verse five, but the first four verses, what we find is that God goes to Jonah, who is a prophet of God. That means he's a messenger of God. He's the mouthpiece of God. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And so it says Jonah arose and left. He went the complete other way. It's like if God came to Jonah and said, hey, get up and go to New York. And Jonah's like, I got you and ran to California. He went the complete opposite direction, showing that this was deliberate disobedience. He says, I'm not going where you want me to go. And he runs down to Joppa, finds a ship heading to Tarshish, and he gets on that ship and he leaves. But what we see is a God who pursues after him. He moved towards Jonah. And he moves towards him and pursues after him with great mercy. And in his mercy, he sends a storm out on the ship that Jonah is at. This is not God trying to get retribution for Jonah. This is him pursuing him with mercy. And then that's where our story picks up here in Jonah chapter one, verse five. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to walk through these verses and pick them apart and discuss them and get some understanding. And then I want us to zoom out and say, okay, how does this story fit into the larger story of the Bible? And then in turn, what do we do with this? How does this apply to us today? So that's where we're going. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jonah Uh, Chapter one, verse five, we'll read a few verses, talk about them, just kind of move through the passage together. So starting in verse five, it says, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So we see that this storm that is on this ship is no ordinary storm. It's an extremely severe storm. It's such a severe storm that it's got professional sailors skittish. They are terrified at what's happening. And in their freaking out, they begin to realize that the only justifiable explanation for this is that some deity, some God is upset with one of us. We've offended some deity. All is not right between us and whatever almighty power is responsible for this. And so they, being pagans, meaning they worship all these other false gods, begin calling out to all the gods that they know in hopes that maybe they can reach the God that's responsible, in hopes that they can figure out who it is and maybe they can appease this God and he will have mercy on them and the storm will subside and they'll be able to live and survive. And so they call out and they call out and they call out, but there's no relief, there's no rescue. And this is ironic from the beginning because we see in the very first verses, God has called Jonah to call out Yeah, he hasn't said a word yet. The first people we see calling out are these pagan sailors. And as the reader, we're like, what's going on here? Why is Jonah acting this way? So they call out, nothing happens. And then in desperation, they take the cargo of the ship and they start tossing the cargo overboard saying, maybe if we lighten the load of the ship, then maybe it won't sink and we'll be okay. So start throwing the cargo overboard. 
All this while, Jonah is asleep. He was fast asleep. And you're like, how can Jonah do this? Like, how can you sleep amidst such crazy chaos? How can you sleep when the storm is so severe that the ship is seeming like it's gonna sink? Well, the Scottish minister, Hugh Martin, says that Jonah was sleeping the sleep of sorrow, the desire to escape reality through sleep. So Jonah was so sorrowful in, in a depressed state that he was trying to escape reality. And something that can key us into this is some of the language used. When you see repetition in scripture, it's, it's used to key us in and pay, have us pay attention to what's happening. And four times in just these few verses, we've seen the word down, that he went down to Joppa, down to an inner part of a ship. He went down, uh, lay down fast asleep. He went down, down, down. And what this is showing is not just his physical position, but it's showing his spiritual and emotional state as well. That as he ran from the presence of the Lord and ran in disobedience, he spiraled further and further and further down to the point where he's just trying to sleep and escape reality. And so the captain of the ship goes down to him and says, what do you mean you sleeper? In other words, why are you sleeping? Do you not care what's going on? What are you doing? Wake up. And he says, arise and call out. Again, the same language used when God called him to rise and go and call out. He says, arise, call out. Maybe your God will be the one to answer and can save the ship. And again, it's pretty ironic that Jonah's entire job as a prophet, his livelihood is to point people to the one true God. That specifically here, he's been called to go and point people to the one true God. Yet you have this pagan sailor pointing Jonah to call to his God. And then even further irony of it all is that this entire time we've yet to hear Jonah say a word. He's been silent. Even when the ship looks like it's sinking, even when circumstances are dire and the pagan sailors are pleading with him, please call out to your God because maybe your God can help. And Jonah knowing that they're right, he still remains silent and doesn't say a word. And so they plead with him to call out. He doesn't call out. And it continues in verse seven, says this. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the Lord, from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So just pausing there, it says that they decided to cast lots. Think ancient game of chance, like they're rolling dice and the thought process is perhaps the God that is responsible will show them who he's angry with. 
And so they cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah. Not a coincidence. And so immediately they start peppering him with questions. On whose account is this come upon us? Like what, what God is responsible? And they start asking things like, what do you do? What's your occupation? What people do you belong to? Where do you live? Where's your home? And all of these questions are aimed at trying to figure out what God is responsible for what's happening. See, in ancient times, often gods were somewhat of specialists. You would see gods that were specialized to a certain region or to a certain people group or a certain function or vocation, say the God of the sea or the God of fertility, the God of war. And so they're asking him these questions, trying to see, okay, what God exactly is the one that is upset with us? And so Jonah here, he responds by saying, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. And the Lord there in a lot of your translations will be in all caps because this is not some generic God. This is the divine name of the one true God, the God of all gods. He says, I am a Hebrew. I am a people uh, of the Israelites and I fear the Lord, the God of the land and the God of the sea. And you hear that and you're like, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, Jonah, but I didn't know that disobeying a direct command from God and running away from him was fearing and worshiping the Lord. That doesn't look too much like worship and fear to me. And so you're like, really? As the reader, you're really questioning Jonah here. But he says that. And the irony of it all is that he didn't want to go and proclaim to pagans to begin with. Yet, he, so he ran from God, found himself on a ship, full of pagans, and now he's having to proclaim God to them. And so he tells them this, and the sailors were terrified. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You are, say that you fear the God of the land and the sea, and you ran from him on a boat? Are you kidding me? You ran from him on our boat? Why would you do this? And they're panicked and terrified for Jonah or for what's happening. And so seeing what they do in verse 11, it says this, then they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So again, we see that repetition of the sea growing more and more tempestuous. So what we're seeing is that the storm is growing more and more severe as they're talking to Jonah and they talk, confront Jonah and say, okay, you're the reason this is happening. Tell us how to fix it. Tell us how we can appease this God and make all things right. And Jonah, he says something weird. He says, you just, just throw me into the sea. If you just throw me into the sea, everything will be okay. And you're like, that seems a little weird to us. Like that seems pretty impulsive and pretty, pretty brash. You're like, why suggest this? 
And there's two kind of ends of the spectrum here that people may fall and, and it creates a tension that I think is inviting us in to wrestle with. But on one side, this could be Jonah having a repentant heart saying, I'm surrendering to God. But the problem is Jonah knows that God is merciful. He knows he's a gracious God and forgiving. In fact, he tells us later in chapter four, that's the whole reason why he ran to begin with is because he hated the Ninevites and he didn't want them to experience the mercy of God. So he ran. So he knows the character of God is one that is forgiving and merciful. And so you would think if he was repentant that he would have said, Lord, forgive me. I'm jumping on the next boat to Nineveh or they're going to take me to Nineveh. We're all good. And everything subsides and it's all fine. So that doesn't seem quite compelling, but potentially on the other end of the spectrum, this is Jonah doubling down on his running. This is Jonah saying, I would rather be dead than go and tell the Ninevites about you. And to me, I find this side a little bit more compelling because one, you see Jonah throughout this book. Again, he's not painted as a hero. He doesn't have the most repentant heart throughout the entire book. But then two, again, with the language of down, 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 that he had spiraled into this downward spiral. He had tried to escape reality through sleep. And now he is at rock bottom and he's saying, I would just rather die than deal with this. I'm ultimately trying to escape my circumstances in my reality. Either way, what he suggests this and the sailors are like, no, I'm not throwing you overboard. And you kind of understand that, right? All they know is there's some almighty being that's upset with them and that this is his prophet. And so if the storm is that severe and this being is this powerful, it probably wouldn't be a good idea to kill his prophet. And so they pass on trying to kill Jonah. But in this, again, we see this irony that the pagan sailors show more decency than Jonah, the man of God that when the boat was surely going to sink and all of these human beings, these image bearers of God were going to die and they plead with Jonah, cry out to your God, cry out to your God. Jonah is cold and he doesn't call out to God. Yet here, when given the opportunity to kill him, these pagan sailors refuse. It doesn't paint him in a good light. And so they rode and they rode and they rode. They'd say, we're not going to throw them overboard. So let's try to fix it ourselves. And they paddled hard and hard and hard, but the sea raged more and more and nothing seemed to work. And so this is what it says in verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So they row and they row and they row and they expend every effort of self-effort. They, they tried everything they could. They had thrown the cargo overboard. They paddled and paddled. They called out to every God they thought they knew and yet nothing came to their rescue. They had come to the complete end of themselves. And then finally, it says they called out to the Lord. 
This is not some little G God. This is the big G God of all gods, the, the one, the Lord of all lords. He is the king of all kings, the only one true God there is. They called out to him and they use the divine name of Yahweh when they call out to him. And we see this repeated five times to add emphasis in these sections. So they call out to him and say, hey, don't let this man's blood be on our hand, hands. This is seemingly the only chance, choice we have. And then they gave Jonah his wishes and they threw him overboard. And when Jonah goes overboard, the storm subsides. The waves calm. They are delivered and rescued from their danger. And when they see the mercy of the almighty one true God, it says they worshiped. The language that Jonah used and said, I fear Yahweh, I fear the Lord. You see that they fear the Lord here and they worship God because of his great salvation that was worked for them. And again, it's quite ironic that you see the man of God running from him the entire time. And yet here you see pagan sailors worshiping and offering sacrifices to him. And when Jonah goes into the water, if you're reading this for the first time, you think this has got to be the end of Jonah. You do not just get thrown into the open sea without a boat and survive. Or do you? It finishes in verse 17 saying, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So you think this is the end of Jonah, but God who has proven himself to be sovereign over the storm and sovereign over the land and sovereign over the sea shows that he's sovereign over the creatures of the sea and he sends a fish to rescue Jonah. This is the same Jonah that has run from him from the beginning that is calloused and hard-hearted. He is running from the Lord, yet God in his mercy pursues after him and doesn't leave him for dead. He sends a fish and the fish is a vessel of his mercy and the fish swallows Jonah and rescues Jonah from certain death. And so we have to ask ourselves, so what? What do we do with this? In our context today, as we read the story of Jonah, what do we take away from this? And I think first to see what to take away, we have to see how this fits into the larger story of scripture. See, the Bible can feel like it's got all these different parts and all these different authors, but the reality of it all is that it's all one big unifying story that has one ultimate author and that is God himself. And what Jesus tells us in John chapter five and in other places as well, that all of scripture is one unified story that is pointing to him, going through him and from him. It's all pointing to the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. That's why Paul says that the scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So that means no matter where we read, Old Testament or New, when we read, it's meant to show us our great need for salvation. And it's meant to show us the only one through whom we can have that salvation, Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, how does Jonah, this Old Testament story, fit into this one big story? And I love the way Tim Mackey put, puts it. He talks about scripture is just a symphony. 
with many different parts and musical chords and notes and melodies that all come together to film, uh, form one large work and that there are musical elements that echo all throughout the whole symphony. And so there are elements in every story that echo all throughout scripture that are pointing to Jesus. And there's an echo here in Jonah that is connected all throughout scripture. And it's in several different places. And the echo is that of substitution. Specifically, the key echo is the substitutionary death of the man of God that appeases the wrath of God that brings on the salvation of God. We see that in Jonah, the substitutionary death of the man of God that appeases the wrath of God and brings on the salvation of God. If you were here earlier this summer, Pastor Will preached on Genesis chapter one and it talks, he talked about how in Genesis chapter one, the world was formless and void and there was chaos, but God's spirit hovered over the chaos and through his word, he brought structure, he brought order, he filled it with life. He created this wonderful world that is beautiful. But then in Genesis chapter three, when mankind rebelled against God, the beautiful world that was ordered began to unravel back into chaos. And so in a sense, all of mankind, we are on a boat in the middle of a great storm of the wrath of God. And we are hopeless to do anything to save ourselves. But God, who is so rich in mercy, so full of love, stepped down into our boat that God took on flesh, became a man and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. That Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not live and he became our saving substitute. See, in the book of Jonah, you've got these pagan sailors on a boat that is certainly going to sink. They're headed for certain death. But then Jonah became their saving substitute who was thrown into the storm and to the wrath of God, appeased the wrath of God and brought on their salvation. See, Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus, the sinless one who lived the perfect life at the end of his life, allowed himself to be thrown into the very wrath of God on the cross. He died on the cross and through his death, he satisfied the wrath of God. And through his resurrection, he brings on life that we have and brings upon the salvation of God. See, Jonah fits into a larger story and is a bigger part of the symphony that all points to Jesus. And the hope is that all who are dying in need of salvation can cry out to King Jesus and he becomes their saving substitute and they receive salvation, saved from the wrath that we deserve. And it's only through seeing this bigger purpose can we look and zoom in today and say, okay, what can we take from the book of Jonah? So with our last little bit of time, I want to zoom into the two uh, sets of people in this story to find application. I want us to look at the sailors and then also look at Jonah. And so the, the sailors... They were far from God, right? They were pagan worshipers. They were as far from God as you could possibly get. And when this storm came upon their ship, they had this sense that all was not right with them and some almighty being. They, they had the sense that 
they were not right before God. And so they went to every self-effort they could to try to save themselves. They tried and they tried and they tried. They called out to every God they could possibly think of for rescue, but their self-effort ultimately failed. And when they came, they eventually came to the end of themselves. And there may be someone in here this morning who you say, I really identify with those sailors. You say, I have lived a life that is far, far from God. You may even have a sense that all is not right with you and the Almighty. And you have spun your wheels your entire life trying to bring some sort of rescue to your heart, to find peace, to find joy, to find security, to find salvation. And you've tried everything you possibly can. You've called on everything you can possibly think of. And yet you are still empty and it's never enough. Here's the reality. You're exactly right. Things are not right between you and the almighty God and your self-efforts will not work. You can call on all these different things to save you and none of those will save you and bring you satisfaction and security. You are a sinner who is far from God. But don't miss the hope that we find in Jonah, that these pagan sailors who are far from God cried out to the one true God for salvation and they found rescue by his mighty hand. And that's the call of all of scripture that you who are far from God, if you will humble yourself before the Lord, if you will confess your sin, confessing your need for salvation, confessing your need for the very mercy of God, that you who are far from God will find salvation. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. There is no other name by which you can be saved except for the name of Jesus. Turn from your sin, trust in Jesus, find salvation. Let him and his sacrificial death become your substitute. And maybe someone needs to hear me say this. You are not too far gone for the mercy of God. It doesn't matter how far you've run. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you did last week, last night, this morning. You are not too far gone for the mercy of God. Repent and see the God who has closed the gap through Jesus. Though you are far, far from him, you will find him close. But we have to deal with Jonah as well. See, we said Jonah is God. Uh, the book of Jonah is God taking aim at the heart of Jonah. And what we know about Jonah's heart from what it tells us in, in this book is that it's hardened. He says in Jonah 4, it tells us again that Jonah did not want to go to the Ninevites because he says, I know, Lord, you are merciful and you are gracious and you are slow to anger and you are abounding in steadfast love. And these people do not deserve your love. The Ninevites were wicked people who had oppressed Jonah's people and he hated them. And he says, if I go and proclaim your message, there's a chance that you're gonna forgive them because I know that's your character and they don't deserve it. And so he ran in the complete opposite direction. See, Jonah believes that God is too powerful, too mighty, too righteous, too holy, too merciful, too kind and too loving for these pagans. 
And he's exactly right. But he's blind to the reality that God is too powerful, too mighty, too righteous, too holy, too merciful, too kind, too loving for all mankind, including Jonah. Jonah is in the same boat as these pagans, both literally and figuratively. He is in desperate need of the mercy of God. He's no hero in this. He at best is someone who's deceived himself or someone who is in desperate need of repentance. And at worst, he's someone who's deceived himself of his standing before God. He thinks that because of where he was born and the places he's around and his job and having some of the right beliefs about God, he thinks he's merited and earned the favor and the love of God. He thinks they don't deserve God's mercy, but he doesn't see that he needs God's mercy as well. And so what this shows us is that you can be close to God like Jonah, be around the right people in the right places, believe some of the right things about God, do some of the right stuff, yet in reality be very far from the heart of God. And I got to tell you, this is extremely terrifying for our context that in our context, we live in a culture and I know things have changed and, and stuff, but we're still in the Bible Belt area where people grow up close to God, saying the right things, doing some of the right things, they're with the right people in the right places, believing some of the right things about God. But my fear is that we have a lot of Jonas here that have missed the very heart of God and in our reality far from him. And so we have to ask ourselves when we come across this text, especially us who have grown up in this context, grown up around the things of God, we have to ask ourselves, is there any Jonah in me? Have I deceived myself into thinking that I've somehow earned and deserved the love of God because of where I was born or some of the things that I do? So because here's the reality. If you are in some of the right places and you have done some of the right things and you are with the right people, believing some of the right things of God, doing some of the right stuff, but you have never seen your need for salvation and you've never seen the, your complete inability to bring salvation to yourself and you've never seen your need for the mercy of God, then you are far from God. You do not know God. Faith in Jesus is the only way. That's what Jesus says in John 14, that I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the father except through me. We have to come to the end of ourselves. The book of Jonah is calling us to humble ourselves, see our need for salvation and repent and turn to Jesus. And then even for us who who for many of us, we are followers of Jesus. We've had that moment where we have turned from our sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation. We've had that time where we've confessed our sin and put our faith in Jesus. We've received the salvation that comes from him along. But what we know to be true, if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, is that our hearts are prone to wander. That we have the tendency to bend back towards self and towards pride. And pride is so dangerous. It creeps into our hearts. It 
begins to harden our hearts and to steal our joy and to steal our passion. And it poisons us and corrodes us. It bends us towards sin. And the scariest part is it blinds us to itself. And so we too have to approach any passage of the Bible, especially here in Jonah and say, is there any Jonah in me? Is my heart hardened in any way? Am I calloused and cold towards the lost? Or do I have a compassion and a passion to see them know the Lord? We have to ask ourselves, is there any Jonah in me? We have to ask God to show us our sin, to break our hearts of that sin, to repent and find closeness with him. See, the sailors were far from God but they found themselves close to God. Jonah was close to God, but in reality, he was so far from God. But here's the good news of Jonah, is that we have a God who has pursued us with relentless mercy. See, if you've found yourself in here this morning, you've had an honest evaluation of your heart and you said, I am so far from the heart of God. Your good news is that if you will turn from your sin, and trust in Jesus, run into the mercy of God, then you will find forgiveness. You can find him closer than your breath. And and when you do that, you see the great salvation that was worked for you on the cross of Christ. And then the response that you will have is to worship this almighty, powerful, merciful, and loving God.